Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual group dedicated to the free and responsible search for truth and meaning and several other things. And we're really glad that you're here. We come from a long heritage of teaching that there's a spark of the divine in everyone. And so one of the ways that we greet the divine on a Sunday morning is by turning to the people around us and welcoming them here. Let us say together the words by which we light our chalice, which is the symbol of our faith. Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its law. This is our great covenant to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love, and to help one another. Our call to worship today comes from the Reverend Patrick O'Neill. It may be surprising to learn the traditional greeting passed between Maasai warriors is Kaseran Ungera. And how are the children? It acknowledges the high value the Maasai always place on their children's well-being. Even those with no children of their own give the traditional answer, all the children are well. Maasai society has not forgotten its reason for being, that the priorities of protecting the young, the powerless, are in place. All the children are well means that the daily struggles for existence do not preclude proper caring for their young. I wonder how it might affect our consciousness of our own children's welfare if in our society, our culture, we took to greeting each other with this daily question. And how are the children? I wonder if we heard that question and passed it along to each other a dozen times a day if it would begin to make a difference in the reality of how children are thought of or cared about in our own country. I wonder if every adult among us, parent and non-parent alike, felt an equal weight for the daily care and protection of all the children in our community, our city, our state, our country. I wonder if we could truly say without any hesitation, the children are well, yes, all the children are well. What would it be like if the minister began every worship service by answering the question, and how are the children? If every town leader had to answer the question at the beginning of every meeting, and how are the children? Are they all well? Wouldn't it be interesting to hear their answers? What would it be like, I wonder? Our congregation's mission is what guides us as we make our decisions. It's what guides us as we move into the future together. We worked on it together. We changed it after seven years, last year or the year before. And now we're about to write it on the wall like we had it before. We say it together every Sunday. Together, we nourish souls transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. The beloved community begins with me and with you. And so I want to ask you to do a little homework with me. Here's what I'm going to do. And I learned this from a book called Learning to Be White. So this is mostly for my white identified brothers and sisters in here um, by a woman, a UU minister named Tandeka. And she suggests that white people raise their awareness by um, 
by remembering for a week to racially identify everyone that they're talking about in a story. For example, you would say, and then this white guy got on the bus and sat next to me, or then this white woman came up to me, and then, so I was sitting there talking in the beauty shop to this white woman next to me, and the way that raises awareness is that if in, in white culture, if you don't identify the race of a person, then that means they're right, which is the default, the norm. We don't mean it, or I, I, when I do it, don't mean it, intend it to be that way, and yet that's how it wires our brains. And so trying to rewire the brain that has learned to be white, if you racially identify white people too, that relieves people of color from being the only people who are always racially identified. So anyway, I'm going to try it for a week. Y'all try it too if you care to, and let me know how it goes. Our reading is called, Excuse Me, Was That a Conversation? (laughs) You can only guess, but that was written by our own Meg Barnhouse. (laughs) In it, she says, Sometimes I actually understand my children when we talk. Other times I don't. Each individual word they are using is familiar, but after the whole sentence has come out, I'm lost. My dream is to have actual conversations with them and for them to be able to converse with each other. This is where they were a few years ago at five and eight. I know lots of tricks on how to get candy. I invented them, not you. Uh Uh-uh, Einstein did. How do you know that? Einstein invented almost anything. Oh, yeah? He didn't invent any of the good stuff, like TV. Well, he didn't invent TV, but he invented electricity, and you can't have TV without electricity. (laughs) I could not figure out how to join in that discussion. Now my boys are older. They play video games. The 10-year-old plays Pokemon cards. The 13-year-old plays magic cards. And they say things to me like this. Mom, see, you combine the splinter card with the wagon of mortality, and you can replicate any number of freezes you want to. You throw them at your opponent, and unless he has reaped the whirlwind, you can deal him 14 damage for every artifact you have in play. I like it very much when they talk to me, even if right now it's talking at me. I remind myself that I'm grateful they like to do it. What I don't want is for them to turn into silent, hulking teenagers grunting at me as they pass me in the hall. That will make me angry and hurt my feelings. Then I will lecture, which does not do any good. My favorite times are when we have actual conversations, which are rare. Conversation happens when you say a brief thing to me, and then I say a brief thing to you that has to do with what you just said to me. (laughs) I may ask a question to clarify for me what you said, or one that asks you to go into greater depth. I may connect with what you said to something else in my experience, But I try not to jump right into my experience. We can talk about yours first. The art of conversation is a difficult one. 
Many people lecture or indulge in long explanations of their ideas or blow-by-blow descriptions of their golf game last Saturday. (laughs) I was raised to do the ladylike thing in conversation with a man. Mama called it drawing him out. I can only say that in a southern drawl. The lady asked the man question after question so he can do all the talking. Finally, I figured out this is not conversation. I don't want my sons, when they are grown, to be comfortable with that kind of behavior, either from themselves or from their conversational partners. My desire is eventually to have actual conversations with my children, not a lecture from me, an argument about who is right and who is wrong, me drawing them out or a long-winded enthusing from them about whatever sport they are playing at the moment. We practice asking questions of one another. At the dinner table, I will sometimes say, yes, you may be excused after you ask everyone at the table two questions. They're getting better at it. It still feels sometimes like I'm tormenting them, and that's okay. I'm their mom. Tormenting them is my job. Yeah, so the questions at first were like, how was your day? What were you wearing? Then they got better. And then one of them called me from college one day, and he's like, Mom, thank you so much for teaching me how to talk to girls. I just go, how was your day? (laughs) What were you wearing? (laughs) Oh, my God. Now is the time in our service for prayer and meditation where we speak or listen to God as we understand God, or we listen to our inner wisdom, or we just follow our breath as it comes in and out of our bodies. It is in this wise silence where we can find a little bit of space between the thoughts, where we can lay down the lists of things to be done, where we can stop replaying conversations or having imaginary ones. It is in this wise silence that we can feel ourselves held in the arms of love. In this congregation, small noises from children and the noises of life are part of the silence as we enter the silence together. Ooh, child, things are gonna get easier. Ooh, child, things will get brighter. Ooh, child, Things are gonna get easier. Ooh, child, things will get
In nearly every religion and culture, there are ways of giving your blessing to other people or being a blessing or asking for a blessing. The I Ching says that to bless means to help. In the uh, course of our worship services, when we have a child or baby dedication, I ask the children to come help bless the baby and we put our hands out toward the baby and we wish for it, send wishes and good thoughts to the baby and wish for it the, everything that we might want in our own lives. My favorite recent wish from one of the children for the baby was more tutus. <laughs> in the Hebrew language, the word barech is blessing. And it has a rich meaning of drawing the divine down into a thing or saturating something or someone with the holy. One of the most famous 
stories in the Hebrew scriptures is of a father giving his blessing to the wrong son. And he didn't have anything left to give to the other son. It was a powerful matter. Once you gave it, it was given and that was it. But in our culture, there's not much of a ritual for giving your blessing to your children. You just kind of do it one day or in a daily way or once a week or randomly. I remember um, this week I was watching Stephen Colbert and the comedian Mindy Kaling was on and she said her mother was a doctor who she said I had to go to work with her when I was a child because she didn't trust Americans (laughs) to babysit and she just sat there and wrote and her mother got her a typewriter and she wrote a story one time when she was about 10 that made her mother smile and she remembered that smile and she followed that feeling of being blessed You can bless children who are yours and children who are not yours. You can bless children of all kinds. You can bless grown-ups, too. I remember when I was about 10, I wrote a story, um, and my dad read it, and he liked it. He said, you should be a writer. And I just thought, I'm never showing him another story. (laughs) It felt like too much pressure. So whole books are written, whole movies are made about a time when somebody felt their parents' blessing, some time when they were hungry for a blessing from their mom or dad. A lot of people in my 20 years as a therapist came in my office having never felt a blessing from their dad and some from their mom. But there's mostly a huge father hunger in this culture. Uh, I think part of the reason is that a lot of the fathers came back from World War II or came back from Vietnam and were traumatized and resolved not to ever talk about the war. And so the children grew up with these silent, traumatized men who couldn't really access their own feelings or were scared to, hesitant to in so many ways. And so, and also the models of masculinity for them were, you know, John Wayne-ish models, or John Wick now. And um, so you have to be able to tell your dog, stay. And they will stay. Tell your children, and they will hush. Really, nothing works like that. (laughs) So it's very frustrating. (laughs) Because you feel like you're doing masculinity wrong, I imagine. A lot. I remember being in a sad movie with my sons, and I was crying. And I looked over at my older son, and he looked at me like, I said, Don't, isn't this sad? He's like, Mom, here is how boys deal with their feelings. We push them down, and push them down, and push them down, and then we poop them out. <laughs> so traumatized dads can make traumatized kids because PTSD has a ripple effect 
Here are some things I learned in my 20-something years as a therapist. Number one, people show love in their own way, and it's easy to miss it if you're not looking for it in the way that they show it. The literature calls it love languages. So maybe your dad couldn't say, I love you very easily. Um, But the way he would show love was he would take your car and get it washed and fill it with gas. Or he would make sure your car was running right. Or he would make sure your garden got put in well. Or he would show you how to do something useful. Or he would take you to work with him. Or he would buy you a briefcase. Or he would do some kind of other thing other than just saying, I love you. Or I'm proud of you. Or maybe he said how proud he was of you to his friends, but never to you. And some parents just say, I love you all the time. Um, But then maybe they don't do the thing that shows their love. Or maybe they do everything perfectly. Which is how I'm sure everybody in this room is. And sometimes... um, You have a family culture where the parents can't tell you they're proud of you because um, in the Carolinas, they say, it would give you the big hit. So they are worried about giving their children the big hit, so they don't ever say, I'm proud of you, you're wonderful. Or sometimes the self-despising in a person who's a parent gets so pervasive and deep that it spills out onto the family. And they go, you know, things like, Ah, you know, we're never going to amount to anything. Nobody in our family ever amounts to much. Can't expect really anything in this world. You just, life's hard and then you die. And if there are substances involved, you get the personality of the parent and the personality of the substance added. And each substance has its own personality. I don't know if you've noticed that. But um, alcohol, for example, is very self-pitying and needy and accusing. (laughs) which is not a term in combination. And children always think, you know, their parents want them to be perfect because they always talk about your potential. And so, you know, you... Sometimes you grow up and you hear readings in church or you hear other people talk about, the children are our future, they have so much possibility, they're these bright, shining... Things. And I remember sitting with a friend one time and her, she was looking at her 13-year-old daughter who was just kind of like a little slip of a girl. And she said, I hope she keeps that body her whole life. And I was just like, mm. she's 13. You, you can't be a grown woman and look 13. Unless you just never eat. I guess. I don't know how you do it, obviously. (laughs) And parents just say, I just want you to be happy. But then what if you're not happy? You know, then are you a disappointment to your parents? Are you a disappointment if you have financial problems or if you have mental problems or if you have physical problems or um, marital problems? Are you a disappointment because you were such a shining possibility at the beginning and now you're like an actual adult person and you're not perfect anymore with shining possibility if you're actually living a life and not trapped in a tower? So how can you give the children around you your blessing? How can you be a blessing to the children? Well, 
you know the answers already. You listen to them. You get to know them. You spend time on them rather than just money. And here's the thing to know. They, all the children in your life, children, grandchildren, children you teach, they are watching you like TV with the sound turned down. Then they hear what you say, but it's kind of like, wah, 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 wah. They watch what you do. And they're going to turn out a lot like you if they're your children. This horrifies some people. So the best way to bless your children is to be the person you want them to see. Does that make sense? Ask yourself as you make decisions in your life, is this a decision I would want my children to make if they were in this situation? That's one of the reasons I got a divorce. Because I thought, if my children felt like this in their marriage, what would I want them to do? And I thought, leave. And as you feel your stance toward the world, is it a welcoming stance? Is it a stance of curiosity? Or is it, I'm surrounded by idiots? You are, your stance to the world is probably going to be a big voice in your children's head. They may not turn out exactly like you. In fact, in all the ways you wish they would, they probably won't. But they'll probably marry somebody a lot like you. I don't know. The upshot is, just try to live as the person you want them to see. And another way to bless children around you is to give them limits and enforce the limits. Because having no limits is the same as being abandoned. So you you tell them who how you would like them to behave. Your job is to make them pleasant, useful people in the world. That's all. And keep them alive. If you can. Because sometimes you can't, sadly. But they need to be useful people, and they need to be pleasant companions. Make little rituals with them. Who has a family chalice? Does anybody have a family chalice? Yeah, so get a chalice. You can order one online, or you can make one out of two little uh, plant pots, the terracotta pots. You put one down this way and one up this way, you got a chalice. Glue. And light the family chalice at dinner and just say thank you. And if you live by yourself, you're a family, get a family chalice for yourself. Tell them something that's just for your family. Like, you go, you know what? In this family, Tuesdays are good luck days. And then they'll have the secret knowledge that Tuesdays are good luck days. Or make a secret family handshake. Your kids will probably help you figure that one out. I never did this, but all the writers say um, reserve some time to tell joys and sorrows at the end of the day. Like, what did you do that you're happy with? What did you see that was beautiful? What are you sorry about? What would you like to do tomorrow? What would, do you wish you had done differently? I wish I had done that differently, but it never occurred to me. Every Monday, Bear sends out from the Religious Education Department a, an email to all of us uh, called weekly, First UU Weekly Faith Connections. 
And in it are readings around the theme of the month, today, this month's beauty. Readings around the theme of the month, prayers, meditations, stories, poems, activities, questions. You might find almost anything in there. And just look through it and see if there's something that you might want to do with your children or the children in your life. And then if the families um, are looking at it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, then on Sundays when they gather with their teachers and with the uh, UU volunteers, they will have the same question or a similar thing in the same theme. And they'll go, we were talking about this in my family this week. It's magic. Notice what they're good at and catch them doing well. I learned that from a dog training book. <laughs> it was called How to Be Your Dog's Best Friend. It was about training German Shepherds, but I had two boys and I thought, oh. <laughs> and they said, your job is to make them pleasant companions. And I thought, yeah. And don't yell at them for doing something bad. Catch them for doing something good. Catch them doing well. You go, oh my gosh, I saw how you just did that. That was awesome. Or, wow, you worked really hard on that. I don't know. However you do it in your family. And so finally, I'm going to end with the four pillars of wisdom. Are you ready? All right. So if you know how to do these things, you're on the road to wisdom. If you don't do these things, you've got some obstacles in your path on the road to wisdom. Number one is... I don't know. Can you say, I don't know? know. Yeah. Number two is, I was wrong. So let's practice and we'll find out we don't die. I'm going to think of something I did wrong. You think of something you did wrong. All right, all together now. I was wrong. I grew up with a dad who said, I was wrong one time in 1983 uh, when I thought I was wrong, but I wasn't. (laughs) On my grandfather's tombstone, they joked that they would put often in error, never in doubt. (laughs) Okay. I don't know. I was wrong. Number three, I need help. For many of us who are helpers, that is very difficult. But I want to tell you, practice it now. Because when you need help, which I did a lot when I was sick, you need help. If you're not practiced at asking for help and accepting help, you're going to be really grumpy and mad about it. And then the person who's helping you is going to have to both soothe you and reassure you and help you, which is triple work. Number four is, I'm sorry. I don't know. I was wrong. I need help. I'm sorry. Those are the four pillars of wisdom. And if you want to be a blessing to some children, if you want to practice that and practice being um, who you are, living your Unitarian Universalist values in front of some children, uh, we would love for you to help 
in the classrooms if you want to. We have three paid teachers who are paid because um, they know a lot of games that teach values to our children. And we want a UU person in the room as well to lead the ritual, help them light the chalice, say the covenant, say the children's version of the principles. And by then, after they say the principles every Sunday, they're going to know them. And when we have a principle off between the kids and the grown-ups, they're going to totally win. <laughs> so start studying. If you would like to um, help work with the children, Kelly is sitting right back there. Raise your hand, Kelly. And she'll be happy to take your name and um, tell you what you need to do, which is really not, it doesn't take much prep. It just takes your presence and your goodwill. Please say with me the words by which we extinguish our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Ooh, child, things are gonna get easier. Ooh, child, things are getting brighter. One more time. Ooh, child, things are gonna get easier. Ooh, child, things are getting brighter. Thank you. Thank you. Go in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.